I would say by this time next year, you know, my gut instinct is the capital markets for lodging will be very robust and there'll be a lot of capital available to finance hotels if it's for construction loans or for acquiring or recapitalizing existing hotels. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives, and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Ready to Scale, another great episode. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. Not an amazing day today, but you know what? We're going to have an amazing conversation, so that should be good. I have on a show today a really interesting guest that is into hotels, which uh, we haven't really brought a lot of guests that that's what they do. And I think it's very exciting and interesting to hear and learn about a different asset class than what we usually speak here on the show. His name is Greg Friedman, and he's a CEO of a Peachtree Hotel Group since 2009. So it's been a while. So Greg has led more than four and a half billion in hotel acquisitions, investments, financing and development. He was previously senior VP of business development for specialty finance group and VP of business development for a JMAC commercial mortgage. I hope that I was pronouncing their name correctly. That's yeah, GMAC, but yeah. GMAC. All right. And throughout that time, he originated over 12 billion in financing. So he knows everything there is to know about financing. And we're going to talk, you know, about that as well on the show today. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. You all know how much I love Atlanta, at least from the investment perspective. And, you know, our portfolio is doing really well there. And just on a personal level, Greg, he has a Bachelor of Arts in Biology from the University of Texas in Austin. Welcome to the show, Greg. Yeah, thank you, Ellie. Thanks for having me. And it's great to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe before we begin, if you can kind of walk us through how you found yourself involved in real estate, from biology to real estate. Yeah, no, I get that question a lot. So I was a, you know, obviously a biology major. So I grew up in a family that was in the hotel business. So my family, my grandfather actually started a company that was big into lending to hotel assets as well as some other, you know, commercial real estate type assets. But so my grandfather had this finance company that specialized in financing hotels as well as um, he owned some hotel properties. So personally, grew up around the business and spent many summers as a child as cheap labor, working for the family business, and then went to school, as you mentioned, at you know University of Texas at Austin. Originally, you know, I thought I was going to become a, a doctor, and hence I had the biology degree. But when I graduated college, I ended up going into you know banking 
for almost, you know, 10 years where I specialized in financing hotel properties and, you know, worked a big bulk of my career with GMAC and their, you know, hospitality group financing hotel properties, you know, across the U.S. And that's, you know, sort of how I transitioned from a professional perspective. But, you know, personally, you know, I've grown up in the hotel business and then professionally, I've spent my whole entire life around the hotel industry, if it's financing hotel properties, you know, owning hotels or operating and developing and so forth. Interesting. So it was a pretty natural transition for you, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to skip my first official question that I prepared for today, which is why, you know, you've decided to focus on hotels. I understand from what you were saying that you kind of, you know, that was your environment, your family's uh, business, and it made sense that you found yourself involved in that asset class in hotels. You know, we're talking about hotels as an asset class. And I think the question that everyone has in their mind is, how did this industry perform during COVID? You know, obviously, for looking at the first six months or so, it was probably pretty challenging for the hotel industry. Can you give us kind of a walkthrough of, you know, how does it look like today? I, I have to say that I'm still traveling. I'm traveling to see properties, you know, our current properties and potential, you know, new deals and I stay at hotels and they always seem to be full to me, but obviously I don't know what the occupancy situation is. So if you can talk a little bit about, you know, the performance during COVID in the hotel industry, that would be great. Yeah. You know, the hotel industry was probably the most severely impacted, you know, industry because of COVID and the, you know, the COVID disruption, you know, took our business from being at a you know record occupancy level on the, you know, so we had record occupancy levels. And then all of a sudden we were at the you know lowest levels of occupancies of all times. So we, you know, we've seen you know both spectrum within a short window of time going back to you know March of you know, really call it January, February of 2020. The hotel industry was doing extremely well. And then March of 2020, we dropped to the lowest point of all time. Fortunately, you know, the hotel industry has rebounded pretty nicely since then, but it was you know extremely, you know, back in the you know second quarter of 2020, it was a really challenging operating environment, as well as the third and fourth quarter of 2020 for lodging and for most hotel assets. You know, there were some hotel assets that continued to perform well through COVID Mm -hmm. because there was still some level of travel, but, you know, the majority of hotels were at record low occupancy levels and they were struggling, you know, even with the occupancy coming in these hotels to be able to drive, you know, rates, you know, the, the actual rates that customers were paying. So it was very challenging from that perspective. And, you know, our hotels, which, you know, currently today we operate over 70 hotels across the U.S., you know, we're invested in, you know, about 85% of those assets, you know, we own that we operate and we have, you know, another 160 or so debt positions on different hotel assets. So we see the hotel industry, both on the debt side, you know, where we're servicing loans as well as on the equity side on hotels that we own and we're operating through our operational platform. But, you know, the reason I mentioned that is, you know, the hotel industry, you know, we struggled, you know, through the you know first half of 2020 as well as even the second half of 2020. But since then, the market has started to rebound, and you know, the rebound has been you know very choppy and uneven across all markets. You know, you've seen the leisure submarkets have recovered very nicely, and a lot of hotels that are dominated in leisure-driven type markets. You know, you're seeing not only are we back at record occupancy levels, we're at you know average daily rates. You know, we're charging rates that well exceed, you know, pre-pandemic levels in these leisure markets, you know, hotels that are in these downtown, you know, CBD type locations 
or in markets where it's really relying on group and business travel, you know, some of that travel has started to come back, but it's still materially impacted because of COVID due to all the cancellations on the, you know, on the meeting side that are still taking place as well as, you know, a lot of corporate demand, you know, a lot of corporations have not fully reopened or haven't even reopened their offices. So there's still a lack of consistent, you know, corporate demand or corporate business for hotels. So a lot of those hotels are continuing to struggle, although occupancy levels have dramatically improved from where they were, you know, back in 2020. So overall, we're very bullish on where the industry's headed, but there's no question it's been a very choppy environment. And in our hotels that we invest primarily into being select service type hotels, you know, limited service as well, some of the smaller full service hotels that are typically branded hotels under the, you know, Marriott, Hilton, Intercontinental and Hyatt brands. Those hotels have done, you know, for the most part, have recovered, you know, very nicely over the last, you know, six or nine months. All right. That's really interesting, you know, to hear that occupancy have gone up, but it's still not where it was prior to COVID. And and I think as people, you know, the vaccines are available and now the booster shots, I think people's uh, confidence is, you know, came back. And there's also kind of a limit to how much you know, you, you can stay at home or not travel. And people at some point said enough is enough and we're willing to take the risk. And I remember traveling in early days of COVID was a very scary thing. I came with a Lysol and started spraying everything. And now, you know, I'm, I'm just walking into a room like it's 2015. And, you know, it's at some point we all, you know, I think as a species, we get used to a certain situation and the desire to go back and live your life as normal as you can is stronger than any fear, I think. And, you know, I think it's definitely showing in the hotel industry as people go back to how they used to live before. And it might take a little bit more time, but, you know, COVID is not over yet, but the industry is picking up. So that's definitely a good sign. Yeah, it's a great sign. I think it's one of those two, you know, to some of the points you're talking about, you know, people sort of go back to their, you know, old habits as well. But, you know, the one thing is there's been so much concern, you know, because a lot of people like today we're doing this over Zoom. And, you know, a lot of people were concerned with our industry, you know, given the COVID disruption, do people actually get back out and travel again? And I think on the positive side, you know, we've seen this really nice rebound, as I mentioned. And I think one thing that's starting to play out is, you know, a lot of people, although, you know, it's can be effective to do, you know, Zoom calls. In some cases, you know, Zoom calls like this is more effective than a conference call but it's not going to disrupt the need for travel. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, a lot of groups and meetings continue to travel and the need for travel in that segment, as well as even the corporate side. And, you know, I'm very bullish that the recovery, because it's been a very robust recovery in leisure demand, that's well exceeded, you know, levels that we saw pre-pandemic. And I think we're going to see something very similar play out on the uh, corporate and group side, because I think there's a lot of pent up demand for people to get out and, you know, really have experiences again and, you know, see the world and meet with clients and so forth. Yep, absolutely. All right, Greg, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about financing. Has the financing process changed since the beginning of COVID or is it pretty much the same, but there maybe lenders are a bit more strict or careful, but the process remained the same. Yeah. So it's interesting because we see it, you know, we're a, you know, investment platform that's focused obviously on the lodging business. So we invest, you know, as I mentioned previously on the equity side, as well as the debt side of lodging assets, we own different companies that service our investments. So, you know, we own 
hotel real estate company. We have a you know property management company, development company, a lending platform called Stonehill. So we're financing a lot of groups that are you know acquiring and developing hotels, and we're also acquiring and developing hotels as the equity investor, you know, slash being the developer and operator of those hotels as well as an organization. So we see it from all sides on the lending side. I think at the beginning of COVID, you did see, you know, that the debt side was really, you know, the capital markets altogether were impacted and it became extremely challenging to find any debt for, you know, lodging assets, you know, especially Mm -hmm. towards the end of March of 2020, you know, to find any debt for lodging assets, and for a lot of the other asset classes were impacted. You know, fortunately, the capital markets came back very quickly for most asset classes, with the exception of lodging. You know, lodging did take a little bit longer to recover. So the process back in, you know, I would say, you know, March, April, May of 2020, you know, the amount of lenders willing to finance hotels, I could probably count it on a couple, you know, on my hand, because it's, you know, on my fingers, because there wasn't really that many lenders out there willing to finance hotels. Yep. Since then, you have seen the capital markets recover. And there's a lot of groups like us that have, you know, that are doing, you know, either they have debt funds or they have a CLO type execution and they're starting to fill the void because the, you know, most of the regulated financial institutions, you know, mostly banks and life companies, most of them continue to not lend at a scalable level or at a level that they were lending pre-pandemic. You know, most banks are unwilling to finance hotels right mm. now because given we have not fully recovered from the pandemic, there are a handful of banks willing to do it. But the void on the capital market side is being filled by a lot of these, you know, debt funds or, you know, institutional type lenders that are, you know, filling that niche. So, it, you know, the capital markets for lodging is more robust. And, you know, although debt spreads probably, you know, blew out probably 3x, 4x, at the beginning of the pandemic, I would say the spreads on most debt today has compressed down to you know be pretty close to where we were pre-pandemic for lodging assets, and you know the process itself is probably a little bit more. I would say underwriting is probably a little bit more to a certain degree is probably a little bit more intense just because you know everyone wants to understand better because most hotel assets have not fully recovered, so you know they yeah. really want to understand better the you know what's going to happen and how the recovery is going to take place. But if you're out in the marketplace trying to refinance an existing hotel that you own, you know, pre-pandemic, it's a little bit more challenging than if you're acquiring a new hotel and injecting, you know, fresh capital into an asset. But I would say by this time next year, you know, my gut instinct is the capital markets for lodging will be very robust and there'll be a lot of capital available to finance hotels if it's for construction loans or for acquiring or recapitalizing existing hotels. Got it. All right. Let's talk a little bit about strategy when it comes to lending. What would you say is the ideal financing structure given today's, you know, special environment? Yeah. So the ideal financing structure is probably, you know, at least for us, the way we look at it is having, you know, maximum flexibility. Because I think Mm -hmm. the one thing we've learned through the pandemic is, you know, you want to be in a situation where you have, you know, a lender that you can communicate with. You don't want to be stuck you know, dealing with, you know, a servicer or, you know, dealing with somebody that it's hard to get to the actual decision makers. So, you know, the ideal structure is being able to deal with a, you know, a lender that's, you know, handling the servicing themselves and you can communicate directly with them that have very much flexibility in the covenants, you know, around those loans, because, 
you don't want to be in a situation where you're, you know, tripping up potential covenants that, you know, could throw you into technical defaults. So, we, you know, we tend to like to minimize any debt service coverage covenants and, you know, things like that, that could, you know, create, at least for us as a borrower, that could create some type of technical default or, you know, resizing of the loan. Got it. All right. I think definitely maintaining flexibility is important. I can tell that in multifamily, when it comes to lending, there's not much flexibility. There's an interest rate, whether it's floating or fixed, and there's a certain amount, you know, certain years of interest only, and there's very little. Sometimes, you know, when you, if the lender is an agency, you know, lender, then there's nothing, there's not much wiggle room there, even more so than in a private loan. Well, thank you, Greg, for your time, for talking, you know, about the hotel industry. It was definitely interesting because it's not something that we do in-house. So that was, you know, new to me. And I'm sure that the listeners learned something new about real estate today. We have arrived to the lightning round questions. Our quick, five quick questions that I ask all my guests. And the first one is, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby. So, yes. you know, I feel like I'm pretty, I'm probably a pretty boring person because I feel like all I do is either, you know, work. So I spend a lot of time working and I spend a lot of time with my family. And then, you know, outside of working and spending time with family, I end up, you know, I run every day. So I run six miles every day. So I guess wow. maybe running's my hobby. That's the, yeah. the one time where I, you know, it's just myself and whatever I'm listening to on the, you know, air on the TV or whatever the case is, because a lot of times I'm running on a treadmill or listening to on my you know phone or iPhone. I guess running is my hobby and I love, and the other hobby, I guess close number two would be, you know, watching college football. All right. Definitely sounds like hobbies, you know, besides working. So <laughs> what's the one thing that people don't know about you? One thing people don't know about me. That's a tough one. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty transparent. So most people mm. know a lot about me. I guess it's uh you know, one thing that I guess I would say that a lot of people are always surprised when they learn, I'm originally from Alabama. Like most people, you know, they're surprised when they learn I'm from the South, although I live in Atlanta, you know, most people for some reason think I'm from New York. So I guess maybe that's something I'll, I'll use that right now. So I'm trying to come up with something good. <laughs> All I'm, right. I'm digging deep right now. <laughs> All right. Greg, what's your uh, number one advice to investors that want to scale their portfolio? Yeah. So I think the number one advice is I think a lot of times, you know, and it goes for even investors or owners of, you know, investment type companies or real estate companies. I think it's one of those things you, you can't force it. You've got to, you know, let the opportunity sort of come to you, you know, and let it be the right type of environment. Because too many times I've seen people try to force growth and they end up mm. making bad investment decisions. So it's, it's one of those things that you got to, let the market play out and, you know, take advantage of the opportunities when they are there. You can't be afraid to, to react, but, you know, us as a company, you know, we've grown, I mean, I'll use us as a platform as an example, but we've grown tremendously over the last, you know, 15 months and it's because of the COVID disruption. You know, we were very decisive. We saw the opportunity. Mm. I feel like we have a really good senior management team that was willing to, you know, get gritty and get entrepreneurial through this type of black swan event. And we were able to take advantage of it and go out and buy a lot of, you know, distressed debt on hotels. You know, we bought over 125 first mortgage loans on different hotel assets across the U.S. over the last 15 months. We've been active on buying hotel real estate. And so we've been very active and, you know, not afraid to make investments in a very challenging environment. 
But, you know, comparing that to 2019, us as a company, we were, you know, our growth, you know, although we were making new investments, we were also, you know, selling out of assets. And so we were pretty flat on growth, but we were able to grow tremendously over the last 15 months because the opportunity sort of presented itself and we weren't afraid to react to that opportunity. So my best advice would be wait for the right opportunity to try to scale up because again, especially if you're in the investment business, because you can't force or manufacture opportunities to a certain degree, you know, it's got to be the right market conditions and and you got to be ready, you know, when those market conditions do exist, that's when you've got to take advantage of it and work hard yeah. to, you know, to create those opportunities. Absolutely. All right, Greg, what's your advice for living an extraordinary life? That one is another tough question. These aren't easy, <laughs> easy questions. I try to challenge you. I know. Yeah. So I think probably the best advice there is just personally, I believe it's, you know, having, you know, really good friends, spending time with your family and having, you know, a very supportive family. I think I'm very fortunate in that regard because I've got, you know, beyond having an incredible mother, I've got, you know, my wife and, you know, my daughter and my stepson, they're incredible as well. And they're very supportive of what, you know, I'm trying to do from a professional perspective. So I think that, you know, allows me to have an extraordinary life professionally, but then also personally, I enjoy spending time with my family. And I just think having that support team is, is huge in allowing that extraordinary life. So that would be my advice is having the, the right setup and having the right support system from your family and friends. All right. That's awesome. Awesome advice. Well, Greg, if some of our listeners would want to reach out to you and talk investing or ask any question, where can people find you? The best place is they can go to our website, you know, www.peachtreehotelgroup.com. And I think on our website, we've got our contact information and they can reach out to me personally. I think my email address is on the website somewhere on, under the team members. And if not, they can always just reach out to our website and someone will get in touch with me. So I'd love to talk to any one of your listeners. All right. Well, that's great. Thank you, Greg, so much again for being on the show today and for having the, this conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for including me. And we'll talk soon. And next time you're coming down to Atlanta, you should stop by our office. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for today, guys. Be bold, be great, and create your own kind of extraordinary life. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.